This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Thursday, June 18th, 2020. On this day in 1984, a miners' union strike in Orgreave, South Yorkshire, devolved into a bloody clash with local policemen. But this so-called Battle of Orgreave was not just an isolated incident of violence. It was the end of a heated, decades-long war between the miners' union and the British government. And it still reverberates through UK politics today. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the Battle of Orgreave, a South Yorkshire miners' strike turned bloodbath. Now let's go back to the morning of June 18, 1984, around 8 a.m. It was set to be a blistering summer day, but that hadn't stopped the National Union of Mine Workers from rallying nearly 5,000 strikers and supporters and marching out to the British Steel Corporation's Orgreave coking plant. The miners had been picketing for weeks already as part of an extensive nationwide effort, and this after decades of conflict between the Mine Workers Union and the British government. The government had wanted to shut down the coal mines for years, but it would leave thousands of working-class Britons without jobs. So the miners had put up a good fight many times. By striking and shutting down the coal industry, they'd pressured the past several governments, Labour and Tory alike, to keep the mines open. This Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, was different. She'd stockpiled coal before they started striking, meaning their efforts weren't as powerful as they'd been in the past. And now, these scabs were working at the Orgreave coking plant. No matter, the union was still powerful, the voice of the working Britain. They'd show Prime Minister Thatcher what was what. First, the miners formed a blockade in front of the coking plant, shutting off access. Before long, they were facing down a group of about 5,000 police officers, numbers equal to their own. Then the miners threw a few bricks. That's when the day started to look very different from the past few weeks. The police commander at Orgreave, Assistant Chief Constable Anthony Clement, sent mounted police into the crowd, an overreaction that made the angry miners only more aggressive. They countered with a second push of their own, up against that swarming tide of policemen. Clement responded by demanding the picketers disperse, and when they didn't, he sent in the cavalry once more, this time backed by police support units. Police support units, or PSUs, were a relatively new phenomenon in the British Isles, developed after riots at the beginning of the 1980s, but they had earlier antecedents. 
They were modeled on the colonial riot tactics used by the Hong Kong police force. And as you'd expect from colonial justice, they were violent. The PSUs followed in the cavalry's wake, batons in hand, and beat down the unarmed miners who hadn't been toppled by charging horses. Most of the miners dispersed after this, heading down to the village for some shade and a drink. But unfortunately, the violence was far from over. The policemen stood watch over the depleted crew of strikers, and as the hours wore on and the day got hotter, they seemed to get angrier, more frustrated. The remaining miners were even playing soccer, the nerve. So the police started to react, first banging their shields and batons, then again with the charge, cavalry followed by the PSUs. The strikers fled this time, but few got far. Instead, they fell beneath the batons of the PSUs. The beatings continued as they lay on the ground. But even then, the police weren't done. They rode their horses down to Orgri village, where they were met with a few scrap metal missiles launched by picketers. Then they cantered through the village. Neither picketers nor passersby were spared from the charge. The streets rang out with terrified cries and the clattering of hooves. And like that, amidst the blood and the anguish of a little Yorkshire town, the Battle of Orgreave came to its sorry conclusion. Coming up, the fallout from this display of state violence and the ways the miners fight reverberates through British politics today. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. On June 18, 1984, 5,000 miners and their supporters blockaded a coking plant in Orgreave, South Yorkshire, and were met with excessive police violence, or what was later determined to be excessive. At the time, most media reports on the strikes claimed the police had acted in self-defense and responded appropriately to intimidation by thousands of strikers. The law, too, initially took the side of the police. Seventy-one of the picketers were charged with rioting and 24 with violent disorder at a time when rioting was punishable by death. The trial quickly collapsed, however, thanks to unreliable evidence offered by the police. And slowly, the law admitted that it was in fact the police that had been in the wrong at Orgreave. In June of 1991, the South Yorkshire police paid £425,000 in restitutions to 39 minors for assault, wrongful arrest, unlawful detention, and malicious prosecution. And decades later, in 2015, the Independent Police Complaints Commission reported that there was evidence of excessive violence by police officers, a false narrative from police exaggerating violence by minors, 
perjury by officers giving evidence to prosecute the arrested men, and an apparent cover-up of that perjury by senior officers. But for many members of the National Union of Mine Workers, this was scant compensation, not after everything they'd lost. The Battle of Orgreave, after all, was just one notorious battle in a much longer, bigger war. It all started in the 1960s and 70s, when the British government started to move the country away from coal mining, deeming it an inefficient, old-fashioned business that Britain no longer needed to conduct on its own shores. The National Union of Mine Workers, however, like many of Britain's industrial unions, was a powerful, well-organized outfit, and it effectively staunched government efforts to close England's mines. That is, until Margaret Thatcher entered the picture. She was elected prime minister in 1979, largely thanks to a platform that promised an end to the government's battles with the unions, and she was determined to deliver on her promises. That meant going into the fight with a plan. First, Thatcher's government stockpiled coal. Only then did they launch their campaign to close Britain's mines. It was a clever tactic, rendering miners' strikes less useful. The government was able to keep the price of energy stable, despite interruptions to production, and ultimately to hold out longer than the striking miners. The Battle of Orgreave was the Union's last major stand against the Prime Minister, though their strike dragged on into 1985. The Conservative government won its war. The coal industry ground to a slow halt as hundreds of mines closed across the country. Thousands lost their jobs, dangerous jobs, but reliable ones, with high wages and pensions. No new industry rose up to take mining's place, and many of the families that used to mine are still struggling to find the pride and security the industry once provided. Ironically, in recent years, this insecurity has increasingly led old mining towns, once bastions of labor voters, to turn Tory. The Labor Party was historically the champion of unions, and in fact formed to represent the interests of laborers like miners, while Margaret Thatcher, a Tory, destroyed British mining. The impact of these changing politics has been enormous. In an historic December 2019 vote, Labor versus Tory, it was flipped districts that provided Prime Minister Boris Johnson a landslide win, and finally assured that Britain would leave the EU. While the Battle of Orgreave is largely relegated to historical footnotes today, its impact lives on. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more on the machinations of late 20th century British politics, check out the Historical Figures episode on Margaret Thatcher. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Nora Battelle, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime.